women when I say that. But I'm just quoting him, that's all I can say. Well, whatever it is. But actually, at one point I became alarmed because the proportion of women to men seemed so great. And I, that was when I was first starting to teach away from Ananda village, that I actually started looking at the community registers and it was almost even 50-50 women to men, but classes would be two-thirds women. So there is something to what Master said, that the women have quantity, but the men seem to get, in proportion, they seem to get more serious because we end up with half and half, but almost no group is half and half. Women are easier in... I had to, I had to lead a retreat on a weekend once at Ananda village, that just by chance was all men. It had never happened before, just a coincidence, like eight or nine of them. About halfway through, I just had to say, guys, for heaven's sakes, give me something back. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I said, it's like playing tennis without a partner. I just lob it over, you know, and it blah, 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 like that, you know. <laughs> They'd all watch it, you know, and then they look back again. <laughs> I mean, they were perfectly nice men, but the interactive quality was missing, especially without the leaven of more females. <laughs> yeah, please, for heaven's sakes, just be quiet for a minute. Yeah. Listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> well, they are... Uh, he did also say, well, no, well, he, what he actually said is that men are more attached to sex and women are more, are more attached to maya, so which is the whole delusion of the thing. So that could be part of it. I think it's that men, well, I think more women come because devotion is a natural feminine quality. So women feel at home in this kind of an atmosphere but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all serious because it doesn't take any effort of will for many females to feel at home in this kind of an atmosphere. So they'll just come in quantity, but it, it's not indicative of a serious call. That's, that's my interpretation of it. Ooh, what's in there? Good. Yes. I do. Thank you. Make sure it's not too hot for you. Would you like me to pull it out? I can do it. Well, you have to take it from another angle too. You might as well turn on the camera because it looks like we're starting. Oh, good. That's good. I don't see a red dot. Are you recording? Uh, no, it, it, it just okay. 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 Because I'm I'm quite accustomed to supervising the techies by paying attention <laughs> to whether or not they push the record button. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's just like I, the the absence of the red light was making me nervous. I I have I I made the recording of twenty six keys to higher awareness, but I managed to do it in just twenty three <laughs> because we didn't push the record button three times. So. <laughs> So, in any case, but you know, the way you have to, we were talking about men and women, about master's statement, most of you in the room. Um, you have to realize that the soul chooses its gender and that we shift from gender to gender. So there's no inherent quality 
you know, the soul doesn't have an inherent uh, bias one way or another. We just choose a body one way or another. When people have often asked, you know, why are there no women on the altar? And Swami's answer was, well, at this stage, the soul can choose which gender it wants to be. So the fact that they have consistently chose male bodies is, you know, we have to step back from our politics and our reactiveness to this and just look at it objectively. Swami's answers were twofold. One is, uh, men as a rule have more freedom than women do. And so for the, the incarnation of an avatar to come in as a male uh, just gives him more capacity to move through the world. But of course, any woman who is really determined will just do what she's going to do anyway. The other explanation, which is more, actually I think is more valid, is if we don't think about men and women and just think about masculine and feminine energy, being an avatar is a masculine job because it's a world-changing, not being a saint and not being self-realized, but being an avatar where you choose to come back to, to make something happen in the world. I mean, that's masculine energy. Whatever body you're living in, that's masculine energy. So it would not be surprising that they would choose a male body in order to express something that's very masculine. The most notable woman saint that we all know about is Ananda Ma, who wasn't an avatar, but she was a, a Jivan Mukta, or a fully realized being, whoever she was. But she did an entirely feminine mission. She didn't found an organization. She never made any decision. She wasn't even educated. She, I mean, she wasn't even literate. She just sat there and just mothered everybody for 80 years of her life. But it, it was entirely a, a feminine way of blessing. So it was just, it's just interesting. It's who can say which is, it's just two ways of being. It's the way the world works. Whereas Master was a warrior time after time. You know, he, he was William the Conqueror. He was Alfon- uh, Fernando III. And even being Master, he came to America. He had to conquer America. He had to travel around and speak. He had to win all these worldly Westerners to a new way of thinking. I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a, a feminine assignment. Of course, he was as feminine as he was masculine. People sometimes couldn't even tell his gender. And more than one person having that picture, someone will ask, is that your mother or is that your girlfriend? <laughs> you know, because it, it's like that. And people literally couldn't tell sometimes what gender he was. But his job was masculine. So anyway, it's, it's all interesting when you think about it. Then he worshipped divine. So they were actually asking for uh, uh, strength to give the task that they have from divine mother. So divine mother is uh, a bit of like feminine powers. Mm-hmm. Then how can we get the masculine uh, powers from divine mother? Oh, divine mother, feminine power. Well, you know, we're all we're, we're all a perfect yin yang balance. So it isn't as if a female body can't be as masculine as a male body or a male body can't be as feminine as a female body. In the early years of Ananda, when most of the community was monastic, for those of you who eventually read through my book, you'll you'll read this. And in the early 80s, 
Most of the monastic orders dissolved and a lot of monks and nuns got married. And afterwards, this was the joke in the community. Oh yes, now that so many of the devotees are married, there's really been an exchange of qualities. The women have become much softer and the men have become much stronger. (laughs) But that was really, it's just like there was no stereotype. Because once you become a devotee, all those stereotypes go away. And ultimately, each one of us, each one of us has to have access to the full potential of, of divinity. So you can't really say, and I don't think you can really say that Divine Mother doesn't give you strength. I mean, the only, there's, the, the only reason we have Divine Mother is so that we will feel intimate and unafraid of God. And so we personify the, the divine force in something that comforts us so that we won't be anxious. And that, that was Master's unique contribution when, when um, you trace it through the avatars. And when Moses, Moses, who was an avatar, brought the Jewish people who were, who were true Sanatan Dharma, it was true Sanatan Dharma when it started, Moses got a law, the laws, and, and God was a fair judge. You know, if you if you conformed, it was very masculine. If you conformed, then then you would be rewarded, not in a harsh way, but but it was natural. There is such a thing as divine law. Then it corrupted with a corrupt priesthood. So Jesus came, and he was the avatar for the Jews, and he took it from being a judge to being a father. You know, if you ask of your father a loaf of bread, will he give you a stone? Is one of the things that Jesus said. And he was trying to get them to understand they didn't have to be afraid of God. He's your father. What he has is yours. And you are you will inherit what he has. Um, and then when Master came, Master moved it from the father to the mother. Because it's, But it's not that any of those avatars couldn't have done anything. It was the need of the time. It's the age in which they live. It's, it's the same teaching adapted for the age, meaning the yuga, the planet, in which they incarnate, the disciples that come with them in order for them to teach. So then they adapt it. So the original Jews needed law. The, uh, it, the growth of the Jews went to the Father. And now to bring back original Christianity and Krishna, Master brings it to the Mother, because his whole message is that it's personal. That it's not the priest, it's not the church, it's not the rituals. It's in your own heart. And so you want, on one of Master's recordings he says, pray, you know, the, pray to God as mother because the mother is much closer than the father. That's how he says it. The mother is closer than the father. And then he says, Pray to God as mother. He can't resist you when you do that. <laughs> Which I think is the perfect sort of answer to the whole thing. <laughs> come, come. But I can talk to you about a lot of failed efforts to stay centered, and that will probably teach us what can work. Okay. Somebody recently told me something about my horoscope that I didn't know. I can't even remember now You know what the planets are, because I don't remember that. Basically, it was projects anxiety into the future, then panics and feels has to do something right now. Which, <laughs> I wished I'd heard that about 
40 years ago. <laughs> but it, it actually was a, a very apt description of what happens to us. Most of the time we imagine something is going to happen and then we feel the necessity to do something to prevent the imaginary thing from happening, which usually creates a cascading series of disasters. Yeah. But it's, it's worth working on. Swamiji, one of the, one of the characteristics of Swamiji is that the only word I can use is he was not reactive. He just, he just did not allow circumstances to cause him. I, I mean, I never saw him do anything impulsive. I never saw him make a remark that was not considered. You know, he just, he just didn't do it. He was just steadfast in his calmness. And it is, it's really something worth working for. But at the same time, he was exceedingly responsive. So it wasn't like he was just withdrawn or aloof. He just was, he responded rather than reacting, which uh, is a huge area to explore. It'll come in the context of other things, but let's keep it right up there at the top. Okay? Yes, Kavita? Ojaya. Okay. So I have him to blame. (laughs) But it's in the context of Kriya. The entrenched vitality of our... I'll have to really think about that. That's quite a combination of words. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, I seriously have to think it through because it's not... There's a wonderful thing about Ananda, which is just glorious, is that there's so many of us. I mean, us. I don't just mean us, but there's a lot of them, <laughs> too, you know? <laughs> so the result is everybody can find a, a, a resonance with someone. You know, it's, it isn't like there's just this single... Um, vibration that you have to match and if you don't match that then this isn't your family Um, Jaya and I I have tremendous respect for Jaya but it it takes a person about a nanosecond to see that we're not exactly the same the way we relate to life and we never have been we like each other a lot but we have real different points of view I was actually it was in Pune that also this man named Anand who with his wife is in charge of our community in Assisi. He's an American man. And we were part of a joint program in the the net temple that used to be there before there was the actual building. And he chose to speak on the atom, A-T-O-M, atom. He gave like a half an hour or 40-minute talk on the atom. It was extremely interesting. Afterwards, I said to, to Anand, I don't think I've ever thought about the atom, not once in my entire life. Have I even considered that there were atoms? What to speak of being able to talk about them for 40 minutes. And it was actually interesting when he said it. And I actually understood it while he was saying it. And I immediately lost all connection with it. You know? But there were other people who just thought, oh, somebody's finally talking about the atom. You know? (laughs) So... I can probably conjure up something in regard to what Jaya said, but you're probably going to have to ask him. But the other part of it, and this is not related to what anybody said yet, but you know, this it is part of being part of Master's path, is that we really get to be ourselves. 
Because even if you're trying to mold yourself to some external one, it's very confusing as to which one to choose. You know, do you become a, a devotee of Divine Mother like Master? Do you become an austere yogi like Sri Yukteswar? Do you become a world-changing, you know, courageous, sacrifice yourself for everything like Jesus? Or shall we just go to the Himalayas and forget the whole thing? It's like all of the choices are, or become a government accountant like Lahiri Mahashaya. You know, I, it's hard to think of a more, a less sort of spiritually scintillating job than to be a government accountant. But that was what he did. And so it just kind of leaves the door wide open for all of us to just be exactly who we are and to make our spirituality out of who we are, which is, you know, part, the, part of the answer to your question, part of the answer to the attunement question is that we, we, what we have to learn to be is ourselves. And it, that's, that makes this path of self-realization, I mean, any path of self-realization, really very challenging because we don't get to just make ourselves look like what we're supposed to look like. If you're not really doing it, you're not doing it at all. There's just no... And even at this particular stage of Ananda's development where, we're, where we have a, a very, uh, relatively speaking, low profile and there's no uh, particular... You know, there's no particular status or networking capability by being part of Ananda. I live in Silicon Valley where our temple is. And, you know, nobody comes into our temple because they're going to make good contacts for their careers. There are a lot of other churches and temples in the area where, where you know, people go because it's the place to be and it's the place to be seen and it's where the other important people come. You just come in because it, it calls you from the heart. And it works for you if you can make it your own. And if I have an intention with you all for this weekend, it's to have everyone go home feeling more, more conscious of the fact that my spirituality is the same as myself. And that therefore that incredible uh, competitive tension that we seem to carry in our society these days can be removed at least from our spiritual life and it can become uh, an area of true comfort in our lives instead of an area of concern that we're not actually being successful at what we're doing. There's no way to fail. It's really, it's the only thing you can do where you, you can't possibly fail. Isn't that comforting? I find that very comforting. There's no way we can fail because it's who we are. You know, even if we die, even if we shed this body, we still can't get rid of it. It's just, it's just what we are. And therefore, there's a great deal of relaxation actually involved in the path. In fact, much of the path is simply relaxing. In other words, letting go of the, the ego tension and allowing the, the, the real spirit just to be there. Well, other questions or comments or thoughts for the weekend? Yes, Garima. A moment ago, we have to be ourselves. But I'll, I'll just, for fun, I'll talk to you. I was... I was riding in the car with so I was very um M I was I was very cheeky with Swamiji. I just he liked to laugh, I liked to laugh, we were both witty. And you know, I, I would just say whatever I felt like saying a lot of times. 
And we were just driving in a car, and I don't even remember what happened. What he said something, and then I, I just said something cheeky in return that we both laughed at because it was funny. And then all of a sudden I got really nervous. And I said, Swamiji, did you ever tease Master? Because I was teasing him about something. Did you ever tease Master? And he said, oh no, he said, I was, I was much too intimidated by him. He said, I was just a young boy and I was much too intimidated. Um, he's, and, and there's two parts to this. He said, uh, Dr. Lewis had a very different relationship with Master. Dr. Lewis teased him and was very, because they had been young men together. Like Master was 26 and Dr. Lewis was the same age when they met. And they sort of grew up together. Dr. Lewis was always there. And also, Dr. Lewis was Master's, Dr. and Mrs. Lewis were Master's first disciples in America. At a time, um, the autobiography wasn't published. Master came in 1920. He met Dr. and Mrs. Lewis right around that time when they were, you know, like 26 years old. And... Uh, Master didn't write Autobiography of a Yogi until 1946. So all those years in between, all they knew about Master is what he told them. And uh, Dr. Lewis didn't go to India with Master in 1935, so he never saw any of that. There were, there were a few people who came over from India, but not that many. So Dr. Lewis just took Master as he presented himself. And Master himself, Swamiji said this um, later, he said for much of Master's life, he presented himself very much as being very much like everyone else. Even in Autobiography of a Yogi, when you read it, Master doesn't make a point of his own realization. That's why Swamiji wrote about Master, because he said Master presented himself as like any other devotee, which made people think that they could just go to India and have the same experiences that Master had without realizing Master's own role in drawing those experiences to, to him and that it was the job of the disciple to present to the world who the Master really was because it just wasn't in his nature to do it. So, And also, Swami said, these are, these are things he said much later reflecting on Master's life, he wanted people to feel that they could do what he did. And so he, he put himself that way. If he had presented himself as an avatar, you know, incarnating for the whatever at the time, you know, and all of this realization behind him, it wouldn't have made people feel like there was anything for them in what he was offering. So he wanted to seem like them. Now that's balanced by the fact that one of the reasons he was able to draw thousands of people to his lectures is that he did miraculous healings and he did astonishing yogic feats like having his pulse be different in two different arms and stopping the pulse in this arm and, you know, just changing his heartbeat and doing feats of strength. Uh, one of my absolute favorite, one of the advertisements for one of his lectures was, uh, I don't read, the words were something like divine will healing through the super conscious force by the Swami from the stage, bring your sick friends, it said. <laughs> and so I mean, it's just like he also had that. But coming back to what you're saying, uh, with Dr. Lewis, uh, Swami said, Dr. Lewis treated Master differently because their relationship was 
completely different. But most people were more reverential toward him. And Swami said himself that he was just completely overwhelmed. But interestingly, Swamiji said in 1958, which was now like 10 years later, when Swami came to India and met Anandamoyi Ma, he said, Swami said, that he had the kind of relationship with Anandamoyi Ma that he was too young to have had with Master. And not that it was inappropriate to have had it with Master, but that he was too young. But 10 years later, by the time he came to India, he had, he, he had a very relaxed and natural and mutual, uh, uh, mutual exchange of, of laughter and jokes and complete comfort that he said he just he would have liked to have had that with Master, but he, he couldn't bring himself to it. But by the time he got to here, he was able to be that kind of person. So that is a hint even just right there of what it's supposed to be. But also, if you're, if, if you, if you put on a front with anyone that you know, it, it diminishes their capacity to relate to you, doesn't it? I mean, if, if we think of our relationship with Master as, as the perfection of every relationship that we already have, I mean, or rather, let me phrase it differently. All our other relationships are practice. So every positive rule about relating to other people applies a hundred times to relating to the guru rather than the opposite. Because um, relaxation and trust and the ability just to be oneself without fear is actually a compliment. I mean, think about it. If in, in a relationship with other people, when a person is completely open, you, you always feel like that's a sign of great trust, isn't it? And also that's, that's a sign of a very serious willingness to engage together. And the nature of uh, the, the guru's relationship to his disciples is that the guru is completely ready to give us everything. It's not as if, you know, he has a little schedule here where he's going to parse it out to us a little piece at a time or whether whether the guru has a limited amount of energy and if he gives too much to one, he doesn't have enough for the other. I mean, we, we imagine, we evaluate master as if those things were true. So the only thing that limits the degree of our intimacy and the degree of grace that we receive 100% is us. And so anything that makes you feel more at ease is going to be uh, an advantage. And if it's to be a little cheeky and if it's to be a little demanding and if it's to be exactly who you are naturally and you know what you see is what you get <laughs> kind of energy. And then there's one step further than that which is, you know, Master dwells within us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. It got to be sort of a joke with Swamiji toward the end when he would ever ask me, how, how are you doing, Asha? I would say, I don't know, sir. How am I doing? You know, I just would never presume. Like, how do I know how I'm doing? Why don't you tell me? And it was really the truth. It's like, you know me better than I know myself. I'm going to give you some half-baked idea of what I imagine is true. Why don't you just tell me what is true? And, you know, on, on more than one occasion... 
his evaluation was quite different than mine. <laughs> sometimes negative, sometimes positive. But still, it, and I just stopped even trying to uh, be somebody that I wasn't. I mean, I really, as I said, I just thought about it like when my friends behave that way toward me, it's just a total drag and completely ruins the relationship. How could it possibly work with my guru? You know, it's just common sense when you think about it once you put all the uh, fears aside like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's no less reverential to be at ease. It's, you know, master's your mother. That's the best way to think about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, again, I take it back this way. If somebody really trusts me enough to be completely natural with me, I feel complimented, not disrespected. I feel like that's a, a sign in a, a way of great respect because they trust me so much. I mean, I'm just talking, I'm not talking about any special role I have. I just mean our friends, you know. If your daughter, if your son really will bring you whatever is happening with them and presented to you without any inhibition, I, that's a great compliment to the parent rather than a lack of respect. And so that's how we should think about it. But it's a very important question because sometimes we do think we have to put on a face. And, like, and, and the other part of it is so you're not fooling anyone. All you're doing is really setting up a distance between yourself and the Master, just as it would be true in a a one-to-one relationship. Yeah. And it's it's we who are afraid, usually. I mean, that's why people don't open to one another, because they're afraid. And so why afraid of being seen, afraid of being judged? For a period of time, I worked for Swamiji as his secretary, and he was writing the path during that period of time, and therefore he spent a lot of time in seclusion the, the circumstances, the physical circumstances, his house was inaccessible and most people didn't know where it was and there was no internet, no phone and I worked in a more public area. So most of the time, if you wanted to contact him, you had to contact me and then we set it up that way so that his privacy would be protected. So pretty much anybody who wanted to see him had to ask me first. I kept the calendar. And then often on Sunday afternoons, uh, Swamiji would give interviews. He would give private counseling sessions. He would give the Sunday service. And then in the af- for a few hours after, he would meet with people. And in the summertime, which is where most of this happened, his house had an outdoor porch. It was just a small dome at the meditation retreat. A few of you have seen it, the small dome at the retreat with this porch. And in order just to keep his time well used, someone would be inside and Somebody would be outside and then I would be the gatekeeper. And I began to realize that my job sitting outside with whoever was going to talk to Swami next was to just hose them down and just relax them a little bit. (laughs) But the mental attitude, this is what it came down. People, many people, not all, but many people were aware that Swamiji had expanded vision. And therefore, when he would look at a person or talk to a person. He didn't really say these things explicitly till much later. But you you had the feeling that he knew who you were. And so almost everyone was terrified that he would see them for what they were and that he would judge them harshly. And so on one hand, they wanted to have a conversation and on the other hand, they were terrified of it. And I, I gradually began to 
learn how to explain that almost everybody you know is judging you pretty continuously. You know, they're thinking your hair doesn't look as good today as it did yesterday and that shirt's not very flattering and is that the best car that you can drive? And why did you say that? I mean, people are just, we're just like that. We're always evaluating each other, even if we're not terribly harsh. We're always doing it. I would say to people, Swamiji is the only person you'll ever meet who's not going to do that to you. This is the one relationship in your life where you don't have to be concerned. And it's so interesting how, because we're really talking about ourselves. If people could see me for who I am, then they would not think highly of me. And we're really talking about what we think about ourselves. And then we project that onto whatever authority figure is around us, and we make a mess of things, you know? But there's no need for that, just the opposite. Absolutely just the opposite. A friend of mine, this is related. There's in the book, um, Loved and Protected, which is stories of God's intervention in people's lives, which I think is a really terrific book because of the stories in it, not because of the person who wrote it, just because of the stories. One of them, and I quote this story all the time, one of them is from a man who had a very serious drug addiction problem. He's a, a long-time member of Ananda now, but he, he was a serious drug addict. And uh, the little story starts by him saying, you may think it's incompatible to be the disciple of a great master and also be a drug addict. He said, but I'm here to say you can do both of them at the same time. <laughs> which is really the truth. And then he said, of all the many things that Master said about how to be a disciple, he says, you won't be surprised to hear that my favorite was, if you're going to do it anyway, take God with you. (laughs) And then he said, so I took Master to a lot of places I don't think he would have gone on his own. (laughs) But the whole reality of that story and that's how the man told it to me exactly and eventually he took master to jail with him you know into very tough rather humiliating circumstances and tells the story of because God and Guru were with him he completely transformed and came out of it on the other side differently but I always I love that part if you're going to do it anyway take God with you and you know I took master to a lot of places he wouldn't have gone but you can you can see what intimacy that implies. You know, that's a real trusting love relationship. And who cares if you're a drug addict? I mean, if drug addiction, which he described, he suggests that, you know, that it would it's great for every de- devotee to be thrown in jail as he was. He, he just says, you know, I know nobody's going to take my suggestion, but I highly recommend this as a way to draw closer to God. But it wouldn't have worked if there had been any distance between himself and his guru, because in his embarrassment and humiliation, he wouldn't have been able to open his heart. So very profound lesson, very profound. And that's that's my theme for this weekend is we are who we are and we just have to be really at ease with it. This is also why am I here? Is well, we are we're here. It's it's really not a great mystery. It's kind of like, you know, 
what am I doing? Well, I guess that's probably why I'm here, <laughs> because otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. It's, it's, we don't become somebody else. We gradually become better at being ourselves. But uh, no such luck as to get rid of ourselves completely. Well, actually, that's not true, but not yet. Okay? Any other um, thoughts or ideas that we need to have for the weekend? One of them is right attitudes and and necessary qualities for discipleship. So I, I'll I'll bring my little bit of paper with those things written down on it, and try to weave that in because that's exactly that's exactly what we're here to understand. And they're just <clears throat> they're attitudes for a disciple, but they're secrets of happiness is what they really are, because <clears throat> attunement is happiness. <clears throat> attunement is. Uh, Master said, thoughts are not, are, are not individual but universal, that we don't create what we're thinking. We merely attune ourselves to a certain vibration of reality. And whatever vibration of reality we attune to, that's who we think we are. So obviously, the more elevated, the more refined, the more free, the more joyous the vibration we attune to, the better off we're going to be. You don't have to be a disciple. You don't have to be on the spiritual path. It's what we're doing all the time anyway because we're part of a greater reality. We're not, we're not a separately generated force field. We're just part of the fabric of the universe. But the fabric of the universe exists on many different levels. That's a, an interesting thing to contemplate is the worst, uh, the worst criminal in the world could become a perfect saint tomorrow because the only difference is in how they behave. And and when you sort of stop and think about that, you realize that there's absolutely nothing fixed. This person is evil because he's an instrument of evil. If he stops being an instrument of evil and becomes an instrument of good, in that moment he becomes a saint. He may have a dark past, but that's not who he is anymore. That's when, When you really feel the implications of that, you realize how how mutable our 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 self is. We tend to think of ourselves as being so uh, rigidly defined, but if we if we become a channel for a different kind of energy, we become an entirely different person. Usually, the shift takes a little more time, but it, even in, even if it takes time, you still become something completely other which is a very liberating thought because that means nothing nothing lasts except et- eternity eternal bliss <clears throat>